We're going to read scripture together this morning. Um, the passage that we're reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, verses 9 through 12. Um, if you guys are using one of the blue Bibles in the seat backs in front of you, that's going to be on page 574. And small note, um, if you guys are visiting and you don't have a Bible, that is yours to have. Um, we would love for you to have a copy of the scriptures in your home. Um, with that, this is First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is God's word. Your servants, as your disciples, we ask this. Lord, we also, God, we ask together that you would make me an able vessel to present your word to this people, this people that you love. And, and God, we know that that I have all kinds of weaknesses that could hinder it. But Lord, I pray for a supernatural ability from your spirit to present your word in truth and accuracy. And I thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, before I get started, I want to remind you, we've, we've let you know in a few different ways this week, is that at the end of the service, so we'll have this message, and then we'll have communion, as we always do, and we will have some announcements. And at the end of all of that, we are going to be receiving our third quarter missions offering, and I am always real excited about that. You guys always are real faithful, but I, I just wanted to let you know, don't try to sneak out early or anything. The last thing that we're going to do today before the benediction is we're going to receive an offering to support our missionaries around the world. So hang out for us to do that. So last week, we talked about how Paul had urged the Thessalonians in the first part of chapter 4 to pursue holiness. He told them that it was the will of God for them to be sanctified. And we talked about how that meant holiness, that they were, it was God's will for them to walk in holiness. Part of that sanctification would include refraining from sexual immorality uh, so that they would be distinct from the pagans around them and that they would not violate their brothers and sisters in Christ in that way. They were also to recognize that God was an avenger against all evil and he would not tolerate sexual impurity. Lastly, they were reminded that they were never redeemed by Christ so that they could remain in sin. Aren't you glad of that? But instead, they were redeemed so that they could live and grow in God's holiness. So last week's text focused primarily on the transformation through sanctification that makes us more like God in our character. And this week, the emphasis is going to shift and it's going to be on how we relate to one another in the body. This dual responsibility the believers have toward both God and one another was central to the message of Jesus. You guys will recall this. A man come, came to him one day and asked this very thoughtful question, said, Hey, Jesus, what is the most important commandment in all of the law? And Jesus responds like this. He says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to these words of Jesus. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In other words, the whole requirement, everything of the Bible, is summarized by these two seemingly simple commands. Love God and love other people. John tells us, Adding to this, when it comes to the people that are in the body of Christ, John, the Apostle John says that if anyone says, I love God. Do you know people that around you that work that may have no real evidence of love or devotion to God, but they walk around telling you how much they love God? Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Anybody have experience with someone like that? Anyone? But John says... 
If we say we love God, and yet if we hate our brother, guess what John calls us? He says we're a liar. He says that's a, that's a massive inconsistency. Consequently, or conversely rather, we can't sincerely love people. We can't love people right if our love doesn't flow out of our devotion to God. And to love each other is a constant refrain of the New Testament. You hear it over and over and over again. In fact, we're given multiple distinct commandments in the New Testament concerning how we are relate to relate to one another. And, and many of those are repeated over and over again in the New Testament. For example, the, the, the one you would think of, the commandment to love one another, that is actually repeated 17 times in the New Testament. It's attributed to Peter two times, to Jesus four times, to Paul five times, and the Apostle John six times. On top of this, there are all kinds of other commands to serve one another, to bear with one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, along with 25 other specific commands concerning the way we are to treat and relate to each other, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So what we find from those 30 distinct commands, the five I mentioned and the 25 I didn't, we, we, we find from those 30 distinct commands that it's God's will that a deep state of affection and service and commitment exists between members of the body of Christ as long as there is a church. Does everybody agree with that? That we're supposed to be committed to each other. We're supposed to demonstrate that commitment with lives of love and service and sacrifice. In fact, uh, the summary of, of this thought comes from Hebrews 13.1. It very simply says, let brotherly love continue. And, and in some places, some individual hearts, some churches, you might want to say, let, lover, let brotherly love begin. That would probably be a, a better start. But the idea is that brotherly love should continue, that it should go on and on and on. It's very interesting, with all of that said about the New Testament and its, its constant command to us to love each other, it's interesting that Paul does not begin this section of the passage with a command. He doesn't say, hey guys, all right, here I've told you to refrain from sexual immorality, here's the next thing, you gotta love each other. That's not what he says, Remember? He doesn't command them to, to, to work at loving each other. He says, now concerning brotherly love, watch this, you have no need that anyone, anyone, an apostle, anyone else, you have no need that anyone write to you. See, Paul doesn't need to supply further instructions to them in this matter. Why? Because he says, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Who do you think the best teacher in the entire universe is? Who do you think? It's interesting. John said in, in 1 John, he said, you have no need that anybody teach you anything because the Holy Spirit that, that's been given to you will teach you. And, and so God is teaching them. He's, he's drawing them into truth. It would appear that Paul recognizes that deep love already exists in their fellowship because God has taken the initiative to show them the great need to be devoted to each other. May our hearts be as open to the teaching, the instruction, the leading of God to be drawn toward each other. So what does Paul mean when he says that God has taught them to love one another? Did God have a small group in Thessalonica with a bunch of charts and graphs to teach them how to love each other? Well, of course not. That's silly. He's saying that the Holy Spirit, by a mysterious working of faith, causes us to love one another in a way that you and I could never generate on our own. Love is, is something that is not natural to any of us. Because of the fall, because of sin, because of selfishness, it's not natural to any of us. It's easier, far easier for all of us. No matter what your opinion of yourself is, it's, it's far easier for all of us to criticize, to shove, to, to demand our own way rather than it is to truly biblically love each other. Has anyone in this room found that to be true about other people, not yourself? Just other people. We're, we're not even talking about, we're just talking about them. Don't look at anybody, just acknowledge it. 
While it's certainly true that, of course, well, I'm not saying that we just can't love or have any feelings of love. It's certainly true that we may have feelings of affection for family members and for other friends and things like that. We all know, all of us in this room know how easy it is for even those feelings of affection toward the people closest to us to be disrupted, easily disrupted by abuse or betrayal or even disappointment. We've all experienced that. But it's receiving the love of God for us that was demonstrated to us on the bloody cross of Christ that teaches us how to love better than anything else can. I can prove that. Biblically, John says in 1 John, we're referencing John a lot today, but he says in 1 John, he said, we love because he first loved us. So there's nothing that teaches me to love you with all of your faults, with all of your warts, with all of your frailties, with all of your weaknesses, there's nothing that teaches me to love you and conversely that teaches you to love me more than looking at love that I didn't deserve that was demonstrated for me on the cross. There's nothing, not a thing. In the hearts of those who love and who place their trust in Christ, God does a fantastic miracle in our hearts he makes us to love even our enemies just like jesus isn't that incredible how he does that in us this is only an act of god that can be brought about by a new birth it's the only way that you will ever be able to achieve that kind of love if you want a better level of love for anyone, your spouse, your friend, your worst enemy. The best way to, to, to see that accomplished is to be reborn, is to be remade, is to let all things become new as you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. First John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves, watch this, has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. John says that love is from God. God is the center and the origin of all true love in all that exists. While sinners like us can be stirred, as I said earlier, with feelings of love and affection, all of our love, every bit of it, is corrupted by our fallenness. If you're married, and I will add, if you're honest, surely you can see, surely, how on a number of occasions selfishness has crept into your relationship with your spouse. Is that fair for me and Ginger, but nobody else, right? Selfishness creeps in because we're fallen. Is any relationship you've ever had with friends or others not been affected by either your sin or theirs? The answer, of course, is no. A, a real relationship of love always requires at some point forgiveness. It just does. It, it, it's not even really love. I may have great feelings of affection for you, but I haven't really loved you until I've had the opportunity to forgive you. And vice versa. <laughs> but one of the things that God intends to do in the lives of those he redeems is to make us love. And to do so increasingly and sacrificially so that we are mere reflections of the way that Jesus loves us. Loving one another demonstrates that we've been born of God, is what John's saying. He means born of the Spirit. He's also the guy who wrote John chapter 3 where Jesus tells Nicodemus, that, that uh, people must be born not only naturally, but of the Spirit as well. And, and he also says that we know God when we love. Anyone's claim of a relationship with God that's, defo that's devoid of demonstrated love, it's immediately proven to be false. You can't have a relationship with God without love for others. <coughs> and this is because, unlike all of us, God is love. 
Now, that may be the first memory verse you ever heard when you were a little toddler in, in Sunday school. But I want you to just look at those three words. God is love. And think about what they mean. That may be, I'm not saying one part of Scripture is more important than, than, than any other part. But if you were trying to sum up the entire message of God toward humanity, that would be it. God is love. These three words are the basis of all true theology, every bit of it. Everything God does is driven by his great love. So whenever God causes dead sinners to be born again, we begin to look and act a lot like him because it's a rebirth. We're born into his family, his kingdom. And so we begin to look a lot like him, just like naturally born kids resemble their parents. So loving others is is the natural effect of coming into a love relationship with God in the new birth. This is what John Piper says. So the way that faith and the Spirit combine to bring about love is that the Spirit works His miracles, including love, through faith. When we exercise faith, the Holy Spirit is flowing in the channel of that faith with love-producing power. What Piper is saying is that without a constant clinging to Christ through faith, you have no hope of the Spirit producing real love in you. If you're only concerned about worldly things or selfish things, and, and you're not saying, all to Jesus I surrender, and clinging to Him by faith, you'll never see the love for others for, that really needs to grow in you to, to be there. For Paul, the love of the Thessalonians that they had for each other was proof of their genuine faith and, their, and the proof of the presence of the Spirit's power working in them. You guys are all familiar with, with Paul's words, most likely, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, where he begins by saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, he's literally saying, if I speak in all kinds of human languages, all kinds of divine languages, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have prophetic powers... And I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Now, you've heard that at weddings. You've heard it in different scenarios and messages. But understand what he's saying. Oftentimes, people will look for miracles, signs, wonders as the evidence of the Spirit's presence. They might even say that a church without regular occurrence of such things is either cold or dead. But that wasn't the Apostle Paul's position. He celebrated love that proved authenticity. Not crazy, wild, spiritual gifts. He celebrated love that that proved authenticity. He said, without the love, all the other stuff is garbage. It says nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Loving each other, this is what Paul says, loving each other is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So all throughout the region, the Thessalonians were known as people who love well, and yet Paul encourages them to grow in their output of sacrificial love. He says, do it more, do it more, do it more. Although the Holy Spirit works in our hearts through faith, each new day, And you all can all say hallelujah, amen, glory on this. Each new day in the life of a Christ follower will bring greater opportunities to sacrifice more of ourselves for the benefit of others in love. Yeehaw! Let me tell you how that works. That may have just passed some of you by. Because the Holy Spirit is so determined to work love in you, guess what he's going to do? He's going (coughs) to, excuse me, sovereignly put you in situations where you'll be offended. (gasps) No. The Holy Spirit's going to put in there. Not some jerk on the, on the freeway is going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to put you in situations where you can be offended. He's going to put you in situations where you have the glorious opportunity of discipleship to be sinned against. Oh, man, can't you wait? I hope it's tomorrow. You're going to be offended. You're going to be sinned against in order to learn how to forgive those who seem to painfully and constantly wrong us. You know why? Because he wants you to grow in love. 
Every day, no matter how hard we try to stick our heads in the sand, we're going to be exposed to the need and suffering of others so that we can learn how to move toward them with a gentle and sincere heart of compassion. That's not just, you know, because we took the wrong turn down the wrong street. No, God wants us to see that kind of need so that we can learn to love like He loves. Remember, we don't love in our own strength so we can build a reputation of great piety. We don't love that way. Rather, God ensures, God ensures, listen, if, you got, if you're thinking, man, the devil's got to get off my back, God ensures that you are going to be for, forced into and faced with frequent opportunities to grow in love toward others, even through difficulty, and that for a few reasons. First, and this is always the first reason, no matter what we're preaching about up here, this is always the first reason for whatever God does. He wants to be glorified. That's the prime reason for everything in the universe. God wants to be glorified. You know why he created everything? He wanted to be glorified. You know why he sent a a, a savior to, to rescue us all from our sin? Because he wanted to be glorified in the saving. God wants to be glorified. So Jesus says this to us. He says, but love your enemies. Wait, I didn't hear y'all. I thought I'd be shouted down with amens. Everybody loves loving your enemies, right? Y'all do. Everybody does. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expect. Whoa, Jesus, you're talking about money now. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Youch. That's Jesus' kind of love. But listen to what he says. Then if you do this, your reward will be great and you will be children of, your mo- of the Most High. Do you think that glorifies God? Yeah, that's what he wants. Because he's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. When we're like our Father, it glorifies him. We glorify him by, by acting like we belong to him because we do. If he's loving and has loved us, we have to be that way also. Second, second reason why God puts us in those situations, because the character of Christ is formed in us when we love others well. No one loves people like Jesus Christ does. He pursues his enemies and makes them his friends. And guess what, folks? He calls us to do exactly the same. To pursue our enemies and make them our friends. John thirteen thirty four. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you are. You also are to love one another, not by some other standard, some lesser standard. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And last, when we love like this, when God puts us in these situations, it's for this purpose. The world is impacted with the truth of the gospel in a way like no other when we choose to love, even when it's hard. Peter says this, keep your conduct, and I would add your loving conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds done in love and glorify God on the day of your visitation. When you love truly, you make A tremendous impact on the world. You guys saw it. This kind of love was played out powerfully this week in a video that was posted all across the internet as a man pointed his brother's killer toward the love of God and then in front of the whole room forgave her himself and even got up and embraced her. That's what I'm talking about, folks. That's what I'm talking about. And many on social uh, uh, media, they were, they were aghast at this. They said, this black victim would extend mercy to the white killer and, and, and forgiveness isn't the right response. Outrage is. Heard it all over the internet. Face of such injustice. Outrage, not forgiveness. But friends, that is exactly what the gospel does. That's exactly what the gospel does. It makes us love. It it causes us to love when the world is screaming, Hate! Take your vengeance! We love. Jesus was beaten. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And he calls us to love this world that he loves just like he does. And you saw it. You saw it on the internet this week. This kind of love, as I just indicated from what was splashed all over Twitter and Facebook, this kind of love, buckle your seatbelt, will not necessarily make you popular. In fact, it's probably going to offend many. So after celebrating the love that was present at Thessalonica and encouraging the people there to continue to grow in their devotion to one another, Paul shows them what that kind of love would look like in their specific situation when he tells them to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. When Paul says to aspire to live quietly, he's instructing this church not to be troublemakers. Not to be meddlesome, not to be gossips or busybodies. They're to live in such a way that people can trust them. If I were to ask you to raise your hand and, and, and show me who, who in this room is a someone that someone else can trust, you might quickly do that. But it wasn't just about trusting them. Paul is telling them to be people that other people can enjoy. That's not so easy, is it? I just told him the truth. Yeah, and you're a total jerk doing it too. Yeah. Be people that people can trust and enjoy. The body of Christ, the members of it, are not to be antagonistic or burdensome or exhausting to those around them. Now, we're always going to offend the world with the gospel. That, that's, that's something we can't help. But I'm talking about us to each other. The brothers and sisters shouldn't be antagonistic and burdensome and exhausting to those around them. Everyone in here knows someone. You're thinking of a face or a name right now. And if not, you're probably this person. But everyone knows someone who thrives on controversy, who loves to stir up trouble. They're always focused on the worst possible scenario. They're always talking about people behind their backs, and it's never in a positive way. They're never going to say, man, Dave Walt's a great guy. They're going to give you Dave's list in their, their version of it. But Paul says to live quietly. This means, everybody, wake up. If you're asleep, I need you to hear this. When Paul says to live quietly, this means that we don't always have to bless the world with our opinions. The world will survive fine without your opinions on every political, on every family, on every church-related issue. And, and this isn't a wagging my finger, giving you a harsh command. Listen to me. The gospel frees you from having to do that. You, you don't have to jump on social media every time the Republicans or the Democrats do something stupid and yell all about it. You know why? Because you're a part of another kingdom. Did you hear me? Who cares what they do? You are bowing your knee to a higher king. Who cares? The gospel has freed you from having to be concerned with all that. Don't worry about it. Many of us would do well to post 1 Thessalonians 4.11 where it says to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs. We'd be do well to post that on our computers and devices and get in the habit of reading it before we even begin to post to Twitter or Facebook. And then Paul says to mind your own affairs. If Paul were talking to a 21st century audience in Texas, he would say in perfect Greek, mind your business. (laughs) He is saying that it is not always necessary to rock the boat. It's just not. He, he would, he, we would all like to tell others from time to time to mind their own business. But most of us don't really enjoy hearing it that much. Everybody else needs to mind their business, but I got something you need to hear. Amen? 
Y'all just said you have something I need to hear. So, <laughs> You and I have to learn to keep out of things that are of no concern to us. And we need a gospel-centered perspective on what is of concern to us. That does not mean we shouldn't press in when people we love are in danger or despair or they're in need or they're drifting back into sin. So how do you know when you speak up and when to back off? I would say that when there are no damaging or unhealthy or gospel implications, back off. Step back. Let it work itself out. Back off. And by that I mean if if someone's physical or mental or spiritual or emotional health are not in jeopardy, then it's none of your business and keep quiet. If someone has preferences that differ from yours, but that don't put their souls or their safety at risk, be quiet. Back off. Mind your own affairs. And that's really good preaching. From Paul, not from me. But if someone is in real jeopardy, I want to be clear about this. If someone's in real jeopardy, their soul, their body, their, their, their emotions, press in, ask questions. But even when you do that, if you are going to do that, do it gently. And more importantly, do it privately. And more importantly, do it with a deep, deep, deep awareness of your own weaknesses and your own tendency towards sin yourself. Don't gossip. People need to trust you. And if they cannot trust you, whatever you do will cause way more harm than good. So lastly, or next rather, Paul says, work with your own hands. The point is that some people tend to let other people serve and love and provide for them, which is good. And yet many of these people will never reciprocate that. They'll never contribute. They'll just receive. This seems to have been a problem in Thessalonica, and we'll see that more clearly when we get into 2 Thessalonians. It is absolutely wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful when people care for our bodies, when they care for our souls in our time of need. It's absolutely wonderful. And I hope that everyone who calls our church home experiences that blessing from time to time. But the love we experience as members of Christ's body is always meant to be reciprocated, not hoarded. I love it when people have served me and cared for me and demonstrated love for me in in tangible and intangible ways. I love it. But it was never meant for me to say, more, 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 give me more, give me more, give me more. You've got to take what I've been given and start to redistribute it and give it out and, and share it, reciprocate it. I would love to see the day when all of us have trained ourselves to come to church with our senses honed in on those who might need us, who might need our encouragement, our time, our skills, and yes, even our money. I hope we speak up when we need something that we let other people know but that when, we, when that happens, that we quickly look for others to bless in return. Paul says that living like this allows us to walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. God has never intended the members of his church to live independently. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. We are a a tightly connected tribe. We're not off on our own winning spiritual battles for Jesus. We do it together. We do it in community. John Donne obviously famously said, you guys have all heard it, no man is an island. And that is never more true than in the church of Christ. We need each other. We were meant to serve each other. But while we're not supposed to be independent, God also never called us to be entirely dependent on each other either. Where some of us in the church, usually in most churches, the pastors, the elders, other leaders, are the givers and everyone else just gets to be the takers. God never intended that. He didn't intend independence and he didn't depend dependence. So what's the option? Instead, the church was always meant to be a community of interdependence where all of us lean on each other. 
where all of us serve each other, where all of us love each other, both giving and receiving the benefit of supernatural Christ-like love together. You give it, I take it, I take it, you give, or I give it, you take it. We just do that back and forth all the time. And this is why at our church, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and ask our communion workers to come up here. I'm, uh, this is why at our church, most weeks, we have different lay people like we'll do today. We have Deborah and, and Phoenix and Adam and Kami. We have different people serving communion to, do, to you. And in doing so, doing that, it's, it's highly beautifully symbolic. They are serving you Christ. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ broken for you. This is the, 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 the cup of his blood poured out for you. This is, this is what they're doing. They're serving to you Christ. Christ is presented for you to feast upon in the community of brothers and sisters that is the church of Jesus Christ. It's symbolic of what you and I are called to do every single day in every single interaction with each other. Share the gospel. Share the good news. Share the truth. We're to share the gospel with everyone in every interaction. When someone is lost in sin, if this applies to you today, we want to tell you this. If if someone's lost in sin, they they haven't obeyed the gospel, repented of their sins, made Jesus their Lord, then we share the gospel of God's love and mercy that is seen in the cross of Christ so that they can be made alive in Him. That's what we do for those on the outside. But also when a believer, brother or sister is sick or in need or depressed or backsliding, do you know what they need? Do you know what they need? They need the same gospel that introduced them to Christ in the first place. I've said it before. I've said it, said it uh, a, a thousand times. Th- this place, we are a one kind of act show. We have nothing but the gospel. You are not going to come here and get anything more. We don't have five tips for healthy living, a great marriage, and you know, good investments. We don't have any of that. We just have the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves sinners and renews people and makes them brand new. That's all you're ever going to get here. There's plenty of churches that will give you the other, but what you're going to get here is the gospel. So we've placed all of our hope in it. So the believers in your life, they need the same gospel that introduced them to Christ in the first place. Listen to this. Get used to this. Embrace this. We never graduate from the gospel. Never. And it is the greatest act of love. I've talked all morning about loving each other. It's the greatest act of love that we can do for each other to share this gospel and to call each other back to faith in Christ Jesus. And this is symbolic, what we do at the Lord's table of that. We are sharing Christ because there's a lot of things you may think you need, but there's nothing that you need like you need Jesus. Nothing. So we want to share Christ with you this morning. Would you all stand with me? The Apostle Paul said these familiar words in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this, blo- this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you so much. Holy Spirit, teach us to love the Father more. And we also pray as we love the Father more, that we would love each other more. Lord, I thank you for the opportunities this week that you're going to cause us to be in, where we need to sacrifice, where we need to forgive, where we need to have compassion, where we need to get out of our convenient place and serve at cost to ourselves, Lord God. Thank you for that. 
Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts to make us love each other. As we come to your table and we feast on Christ, may the character and the nature of Christ and the way he loved come upon us. Help us to love and obey your command, Lord, the new command you gave us, that we would love even as you have loved us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may come to the table. morning we had a very special guest we didn't plan it uh for her to be here this this morning but um pastor david's mother leslie walt is here would you guys give her a hand leslie come on up here and join me leslie and her husband scott are our uh, missionaries in austria i've been in their home i've seen what they do it's powerful I've seen their work with uh, Middle Eastern refugees, and it's just, it's just wonderful to be with them. And so um, I, I, because it, her visit, she you know, wanted to be here for Ellie's baptism, and because her visit just happened to fall on our missions offering Sunday, I thought it would be great to let, just let her greet you for a few minutes before we take the offering. Would that be okay with you? All right. I can get you a mic on. There we go. It's an awesome privilege to be with you guys today. I always look forward to coming to Lubbock. I've been in Oregon and Minnesota and now here in three weeks' time, a whirlwind trip. And I always feel like I'm coming home when I come back to Lubbock and through this church. And it's really special. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to say the Lord continues to be very at work in Austria, in the church in Austria in our church in the area of Baden, just south of Vienna. Um, We are just, Scott and I feel like, well, we actually feel like we're in the grandparenting phase of our lives. We've been in Austria now for 31 years, and many of you know we're in the process and almost done with becoming Austrian citizens. Not because we do not love the U.S. anymore. We do. We love it. We're grateful that God let us grow up here. but because he has planted our hearts there and we have made the decision long ago to stay and complete our lives there on this earth to his honor and glory, we hope and always. Um, And so we are just about done with that. Some of you have been asking. uh, The minute I get back to Austria, I have to turn in my U.S. passport and it will be the last time I will, this trip will be the last time I will have used it. So it's a big step. But maybe right up there, basically on the same level as giving your life to Christ. It has its challenges and its trials, but it also has wonderful things that it brings into our lives. Um, But Scott and I feel like we're in the grandparenting phase of our ministry in Austria. And by that, we don't mean we're sitting in rockers and uh, just enjoying watching everybody else do the work. No, instead it's more like... Um, The first 30 years of our lives in Austria, we were very, very active in the hands-on ministry of, you know, seeing people come to the Lord, um, raising them in their faith, um, leading the church, helping set. The church was brand new, so we had the awesome and really sometimes terrifying responsibility of forming how that church was going to be governed, how it was going to be, you know, what was going to be the the primary points here. The gospel is the primary point. I would say it also is for us. But those are the kinds of decisions we had to make as we went along. Um, and what will be the role of various people, it's, it's a big, it's a hard thing to do. And we were constantly before the Lord on our knees asking that he would give us wisdom. Um, but through the years, we've seen um, many, 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 many young people come to know the Lord Jesus and raised up to honor and glorify him. And so now we are in the grandparenting phase of letting them lead the church. We have five pastors uh, and their wives that um, are very active in the church. We're privileged to have our oldest son, David's older brother, be one of those pastors, but he's basically one of the newest. um, And we have several others who we've been able to invest in their lives along the way. And now Um, We are no longer in the active leadership of the church. However, God is opening all kinds of other doors for us, and that includes um, many people in the country of Austria. Many of the churches were started by missionaries who have since returned to their country of origin, U.S., 
Switzerland, Germany being the three primary um, places where missionaries have come from. And that's a great thing in many ways. Uh, many of the churches, um, we're kind of, the situation is we either have national leadership that are really struggling because they need more training, or we have missionaries that are still heading up the church 150 years later, which is um, not what we want to see happening in our little country. And, um, and they're, like, everybody's terrified because the big majority of them are ready to retire, and they're returning to their countries for the most part. And so they're like, what are we going to do when you're gone? So um, God has opened the door for us to fill an active need to mentor um, the pastors and their wives of these churches, to mentor the nationals who are taking on these roles, to help them to know what to do, and especially to help older leadership among missionaries and even nationals to transition to bringing in the younger people to be involved in the leadership and the ministry. Um, This is a huge, (laughs) huge job. We won't even begin to scratch the surface in our lifetime, but um, we are asking God to open the doors that he has for us and to... Um, and we are very, very grateful for the opportunity to do this. I believe Scott, my, God has given my husband some amazing abilities in this area, and he has um, just people that ask him left and right. He was at a seminar recently, and um, he was sitting next to another guy who's involved in leadership, and basically what turned out happening, and the, and the leadership, the seminar was on leadership, and what ended up happening was that the man he was sitting next to totally ignored what was going on in the seminar. He was just asking my husband questions the whole time. And so, and at the end, then he asked him if he would come and mentor him. So um, that's been a, a great opportunity for us, and that's what we mean by the grandparenting phase. We're delighted to continue to be involved in the ministry of the refugees that have come into our church. Um, our church is very international. I wish you could experience it for at least one Sunday we have um, Austrians, of course, which Austria is a fairly multinational country as it is. But we also have uh, Romanians and Slovakians, and we have, um, yeah, lots of Americans. and Well, not a lot, but a, hand, a good handful. And we have um, people from Afghanistan and Iran, and we have several other countries. And uh, we love the fact that um, our church is pretty international and we enjoy worshiping together. Um, We've had a rough time in the area of the refugee ministry in that uh, Ali, who many of you have heard about, he's the young um, Afghani pastor who was leading the ministry in our church, and Scott's been working very closely with him the last four or five years. His wife basically had an emotional collapse and started to show schizophrenic Outworkings. She has been very traumatized over and over in her life living in Iran. And, um, and coming, when they escaped to come to Austria, there were some very traumatic things that happened on the way. Um, you, you've heard probably some of the stories, and it's probably worse than a lot of what we've heard about. So um, she has been in and out of the hospitals this last year, um, and it's been really hard on Ali. He's, they have a two-year-old, and he basically went weeks and weeks and months without sleep um, because she would wake up having panic attacks. So all that to say the Lord is at work in her life and she is slowly being healed, but it's a long process and Ali has had to step down from the ministry, but God will be glorified. All of the young men that Ali has been working with all of these last three or four years and us as well have stepped up to take on his responsibilities, and they're doing a great job, and we are so pleased to see that happening. What was all on the head of one man has now been spread out over several um, younger men and women who are serving the Lord in this capacity. So it's only the best-case scenario in that way. So we thank the Lord for that. So God is still actively at work in Baden, in Vienna, in Austria, and um, we're Truly, truly delighted to be a part of that, and thank you for letting me share about that today. Ask Leslie in just a second to pray over our offering, our missions offering. Um, but I want to uh, go ahead and encourage you to, to prepare to give right now. Um, you can give uh, cash or check 
uh, in the offering. If I could get our ushers to come forward, um, you can give cash or check in the offering. You can um, also uh, give online. Uh, In any case, no matter how you give, make sure you designate your gift for this offering uh, to missions. And um, 100% of what is designated to missions will go to missions, no exceptions. Um, We also want to say that... um, uh, we, we encourage you this uh, in the letter and then uh, last week. Make sure that, that uh, your missions giving is over and above your regular giving. We don't want to, to just shift funds. We want to really bless these missionaries. We need to raise right now about $2,600 for these missionaries. In a crowd this size, we can do that easily. But I want to I just get really bold and ask you to do something. I want everybody in here to give something, everybody. You may be thinking, I've got five bucks you know, that I could possibly give this. Give it, just, just whatever. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart to really help the, see the gospel preached around the world. And so we want to encourage you to do that. I'm not trying to manipulate you. you no one's under obligation. You don't want to give, don't give. I'm just encouraging you as brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how we love one another. This is how we love the people that are on the front lines. Uh, so this makes real everything I just preached. So everybody give something, um, and, uh, and, and let's do this. Let's knock out that 2600 bucks and make sure that everybody's fully funded for one more quarter. Can we do it? We can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do it, right? Amen. So I'm going to ask Leslie to pray, then we'll receive the offering, and um, I'll read the benediction over you, and we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, it's very, very humbling to be on the receiving end of these gifts given to honor you and to um, allow you to continue to work through our lives and the lives of others to reach out to people in countries who would otherwise not hear about you or know how to walk with you or know how to live for you. And I thank you for each one today and what you're putting in their hearts to give, that they would be able to do it with joy, that it would not be a burden to them. I wish, Lord Jesus, that they could see the people whose lives they impact. And someday they will, and that will be glorious. I just pray that many, many who give sacrificially today would have the opportunity. In fact, I pray that all of them who give sacrificially today because they love you and love people would have the opportunity someday to meet people from churches around the world who've come to know you because of their giving. So commit that to you today, Lord, and ask that your name would be honored and glorified in this. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys receive that. I I mention this each week while they're collecting this offering. If you'd like to give online, you can do that at northridgelife.org and real easy. And we also have a mobile app that you can download to your device that you can get at northridgelife.org and it makes it super easy to give. And so we always encourage people to do that. It's convenient. It's secure. And, um, and it helps. All right. Thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness. If you'd stand with me and place your hands in a receiving position, I'm going to read scripture over you and send you out with God's word. The Bible says, First John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen.